Oh, no, not again. Clit. What is it with you people in these one-word voicemails? Clit. I wonder who this is. Hi, Becky and Tranny Rec listeners. It's your old friend Edward again. Clit. Hi, Becky and Tranny Rec listeners. I it's have your no old idea. friend Edward again. I have no idea who this is. Clit. Hi, Becky and Tranny Rec listeners. It's your old friend Edward again. Clit. I have no idea who the hell this is. Hi, Becky and Tranny Rec listeners. It's your old friend Edward Clit. again. And masturbating. <laughs> From Portland, Oregon. Tranny Rec Radio. Hey everybody, my name is Rebecca Nay and you're listening to Tranny Rec Radio. Today is, well, for me it's almost Tuesday, July 22nd. It's about 10 minutes away from Tuesday, July 22nd, 2008. Uh, how the hell is everybody doing? I'm not going to go through the list of the wherever you're listening you know, all the places that uh, my show is professionally syndicated since I make a million dollars. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Now give me my goddamn paychecks, you motherfucking whores. Okay. All right. Whoa. Rage. Rage. Settle down with the rage, Rebecca. Settle down with the rage. Thank you so much. Uh, wow. I think it's been less than a month since I did my last show. Maybe I'm... uh. Boy, boy, I'm putting out these shows with amazing intensity now. Oh, maybe I'll do one tomorrow. Not. The reason I wanted to do a show late tonight is because I just posted some information on my blog early this morning about uh, a situation that uh, I was just made aware of that happened in Salt Lake City, Utah. I want to start this podcast off by reading a article that was published in the Salt Lake Tribune on Jesus. It was it was published on July 9th, 2008. The headline is Man is charged with kidnapping neighbors' children. Let me read this or try to read this. A man is accused of kidnapping two neighborhood children as they slept in their South Salt Lake home on the 4th of July. In charges filed Tuesday, police wrote that the two-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy were sleeping with several other children early Friday morning in the living room of their home near 400 East Maxwell Lane. The parents of the children are outside the home, but regularly checked in on the children, pol children police wrote. At about 6.30 a.m., one of the adults noticed the two-year-old girl was missing. She heard children crying from inside a nearby home and found the child, along with the four-year-old in the bedroom of the neighbor's home. 
The man who lived there admitted he brought the children to his home, police said. None of the adults were at the children's home. None of the adults at the children's home had given him permission to take the children or even to be inside their home, police wrote. The man, who is 30 years old, is charged with two counts of child kidnapping, a first-degree felony, and one count of burglary, of burglary a second-degree felony. So, that's the story. Now, shit like this, you hear about shit like this all the time in every city across the country. And normally when you hear or see stories like this, it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Some crazy fuck broke into their neighbor's home and stole their kids. (laughs) Okay, well, one of the things we don't often realize is there are two sides to every story. And this story gets incredibly interesting when you hear the other side of it. Not only do you not find out, do you find out that there's a lot, that this story is very one-sided, but it's actually quite wrong. And the person in the story uh, was reported to be a man uh, may actually be a uh, trans woman. I spoke with a friend of this person that was um, charged with these crimes. Her name is Sarah Woodhouse. Let's listen to. Let's go ahead and listen to that now. Sarah, what exactly happened on July fourth? On July fifth. Um, a friend of mine, two friends of mine, one friend was arrested, the other one was um, eaten. They, um, it kind of started on July 4th. They were at a neighbor's house for a 4th of July party. And people were drinking and it was getting late and the children were still kind of up and getting tired and they were starting to cry. They wanted, you know, they were tired. So my friend Lola, who's a drag queen, said, um, you know, my house is right next door and nothing's going on there. Why don't we just take them over, put them to sleep, and, you know, you can come get them when the party's over or when you've sobered up or whatever. And they said fine, and they took them over there and put them to sleep, and the party kept going. Well, apparently, I guess the mother um, who was drinking passed out or fell asleep, one or the other. And... um when she woke up, she had forgotten that she had told them to take her kids over to their house and said, they have my kids, and sent some men over to the house who promptly the door in off its hinges, went into the kitchen and grabbed pots and pans from in there and began to beat both Dan and Lola to uh, within an inch of their life. They bleed them, beat them bloody, screaming, effing faggots. So, yeah, that's kind of what turned it into a hate crime is the language that they used while they were beating them, Um, basically calling them faggots over and over again. And Well, the cops were called, and while I'm not sure who called the cops, I do know that the cops showed up. I do know that they didn't question the gentleman that had broken into the house. They didn't question the mother's intent. They simply arrested Lola on two counts of kidnapping, saying that she 
broke in, had an account, an account of breaking in, or saying that she basically broke in to the house and took the children sometime around 6.30 that morning, which didn't happen. She's since been in jail since July 5th um, on a $100,000-plus bail, which, of course, she can't post. And Dan, who is her boyfriend, has been in and out of facial reconstructive surgery on his face. And the um, brother-in-law, I think, I may be getting that wrong, but one of the relatives of Dan and Lola um, went to the house to move all stuff out of it after the fact. They wanted to get them away from that environment. And while he was moving them out, his life was also threatened by the neighbors, and that's on police files, so that's on a report. And that's basically what's happened. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not much of an activist. Me, I never have been. I've just always kind of been a background kind of person. And, but this really got to me, and I just didn't really want it to disappear or be swept under the carpet. And while I couldn't help move them out, I did have my cell phone and my email, and I got to work. And I did what I could to mobilize our community. And tomorrow, they are going to be having a protest at Lola's hearing at the local courthouse here, Madison Courthouse. The hearing starts at 2, but from what I've gathered, we'll be meeting at 1.30 to protest as early as 1.30. I don't think anyone will be put off if people show up at 2 or later. But we hopefully will have a huge showing of people. And I plan, personally, if Lola is still in jail, by the 24th, which is Thursday, a holiday here in Utah, that I will personally walk down to the Metro County Jail and take place and sit there until she's released. So that's it. Thank you, Sarah. The, The Salt Lake Tribune basically stated that the kids were taken without the mother's permission. Um, Your email, and you said this earlier, and also in your email, it pretty much implies that the mother gave consent to have her kids stay with Lola and Dan. How well did uh, Lola and Dan uh, know these people? And can you tell me any more about that? You know, can you tell me any more about that? Um, that is, unfortunately, I'm not privy to the details of the conversation that went on. What I was told was that they are neighbors, so they've known each other for a while. I don't know if the relationship was good before this or if it was just, you know, tenable. But um, apparently there were other witnesses at the party, and there were other witnesses in the house when Dan and Lola were being beaten. I know that Dan and Lola have gotten a lawyer through the ACLU here in Utah. He is working very... He's apparently a top criminal lawyer, and he is working up, as we speak, a defense case. So a lot of that kind of has to go through him, and he's asked that you know any kind of details of the case come from him, which I can understand, because, I mean... I wouldn't want it to get distorted either. But I do know that the implication from what I understand is that Dan and Lola, they had made the arrangements prior. The mother okayed it. 
And then when she woke up after having, and I do know that the news, this I do know, that the news, local news did report that the mother was indeed drunk. And um, so that kind of speaks to her memory, I would think. But when she woke up, she just flipped out instead of, you know, remembering that, hey, they, we set our kids down to bed over there. Let's go over and get them. She just went to the extreme and said, they have my kids. And men broke in. And I don't know if the mother's now unable to retract her statement because of the situation that she's in. I mean, that I don't know and all of that. Well, and you know it's interesting. Like in in the in the in the Tribune article, it says that um, oh yeah, the parents of the children were outside the home, but regularly checked on the children. The police wrote, it, you know, it was almost like the police were defensive of the parents, even though you know, even though. I, I'm guessing they suspected that there might have been some neglect on the part of the parents, especially if, you know, if they were all outside getting drunk, you know, and the kids were inside. And how is somebody going to sneak in to your house while you're outside drinking and take your kids? I mean, to me, there's there's it, it, assuming, you know what I mean? Assuming this the this the Tribune story was correct and we know it's not, you know, so even you know, how how you know, it's just like there I I mean I know like some people on the outside I posted this on, on my site that this could be a he said she said so story. But just by reading the, the Tribune article, especially in light of your emails, there's so many holes in the story that it's like, you know, you read it and it's like, wait a minute. Right. Well, and right now, the the problem with the the idea that it might be a he said, she said situation is they only have the he said. They never took the she said. They never took their statements. They never asked them. They never, you know, they just assumed of their guilt. They never questioned the men involved with the beating or the mother. And you're right. I mean, it, 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 we only have one side of the story. And... I, it's really heartening to me, A, that it was such a short blurb in the paper. I mean, it was all of, what, three paragraphs long. And B, that we didn't get the whole story even in those three paragraphs. I just, there's so much more that's been left out. And if you think about just the situation alone, I mean, it's just logically, if you're going to kidnap, this is my take on it, if you're going to kidnap someone's kids, you don't take them next door to your house. And if you're going to kidnap kids, you don't tell the parents that you took them next door to the house. I mean, if, if the kids were kidnapped, how did the mom know where they were? Well, according to the Tribune article, that somebody heard, somebody heard the kids crying from a bedroom. Where do you think they got that from? They had to invent a story to cover why they broke into the house. Because the kids, from what I understand, and again, this this may be, uh, I hesitate to, I don't want to blow their case. Let me put it that way. So, um, from what I understand, the kids weren't even in a bedroom. They were in the living room. 
but that's my that's my understanding from the information I've been given. However, again, that that has not been confirmed. But there's just so much about the case that you know. Maybe you don't, like I said, you don't kidnap kids and take them next door. <laughs> you, if you're going to kidnap kids, you take them far away. And if they had been taken and the mother didn't know they had been taken, then the proper steps is to go over next door and knock on the door and say, hey, you have my kids. Not immediately beat down the door and start beating them to death, you know, and calling them faggots the whole time you do it. Or, you know, you call the cops and say they have my kids and the cops come knock on the door. And for the cops to be okay with that is just... I. The reason I'm so, I guess, angered by all of this is that I had gotten to a point where I thought, or at least personally I felt, I was safe in Utah. I was okay. I mean, I the way I felt was we had made strides. We had come further. And then when I hear something like this, it brings crashing home that we have not. And I'm... I mean, I don't want to be on the receiving end of this. And if they're allowed to get away with it, someday I will be. That's my take. And the, well, the, and this is this is the reality with every visibly queer person that this could happen to any of us anywhere by simply being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And you know, I think uh, your your statement about you know this happening in Utah. I, I, that that'll probably come as a surprise to a lot of people who outside of Utah. I've always felt safer in Salt Lake City than I do even in Portland, even though Portland is three times as uh, open-minded and progressive uh, as Salt Lake City. Uh, the, the reason I've always felt safer in Salt Lake City is because generally they're more oblivious <laughs> in Utah. Um, so, but, but it just comes to show that no matter where you're at, this can happen to you. And when stuff like this happens, it puts, you know, our entire community on guard and we can't, we can't just let it slip under the rug. We can't let, uh, this blatant abuse and neglect from the media and the authorities go unnoticed. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you so much, Sarah, for uh, joining me.
on my last podcast, I talked about um, how I updated my resume uh, and changed my email address from trannyrec at gmail.com to uh, one that basically just has my name. And, you know, a couple of listeners uh, shared their opinion with me about that. Let's hear what they have to say. Hi, Rebecca. It's Marina. I wanted to tell you that um, although it might be the whole tranny wreck thing, the name of your email being tranny wreck, I think it's probably just the fact that you have an unprofessional email. Like when I was in a position to hire people at my work, if somebody had anything less than like their name or initials, maybe a number in their email address, I was like, no, fuck this. I'm not hiring you if you can't fucking get a real email address. But then again, I'm a cunt. So what do you want? Bye. You fucking cunt. How dare you criticize my choice of email addresses that I put on my resume. Okay. You're right, Marina. I agree with you. Uh, Greg B. Uh, I don't know who Greg B. is. Maybe I should know who Greg B., but I don't. But Greg B. is a listener who left a comment on my blog putt site at trannyrec.com on the last show, also saying basically the same thing, that, you know, if I saw a resume that said trannyrec at whatever.com, I would throw that thing in the trash because trannyrec is a very unprofessional name. And, you know, that was pretty much the conclusion that 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 I came to, uh, which is why I changed the email address because I my my resume nothing was happening on my resume. It, I was getting no calls. I was getting nothing. And it, since I changed my email address and quote unquote degated a little bit, well degated, yeah, because it wasn't really other than the email address and and uh, my student organization, the name of my student organization that I was involved with at in college. You know, it's pretty much a straight resume anyway. So, um, but yeah, yeah, that putting a, I guess, you know, it's really interesting uh, about what is deemed professional and what's deemed not because inherently I I don't know what the, uh, you know, no, never mind. I'm having a brain fart. Jesus. Okay. Basically, it, it seems like with you know what's professional and what's not it seems like that is getting more and more narrow as time goes on i mean i think it was i think marina said in that voicemail it was either marina or greg b said uh that uh pretty much the only kind of an email address that is deemed as professional on a resume is one that has your name in it any anything else as an email address is quote-unquote unprofessional and so that's that's kind of interesting i so the question I have for you guys is, do you think that our standards for what is professional versus unprofessional uh, are narrowing or are they getting wider? Maybe that's just another interesting question that we can just kind of throw around over the next couple of episodes. So, yeah, yeah, I, I the changing, I, I have to agree with Greg and Marina that changing my email address was the right thing to do. 
Um, and trannyrec at gmail.com is not for resumes, but it is for you to send me an email if you want to give me uh, any kind of feedback. Although I do prefer you would call the voicemail line, which is 206-338-2563 or 206-3-fuck-me. Let's hear uh, what Edward has to say. Hi, Becky and Tranny Rec listeners. It's your old friend, Edward, again. I'm calling with a question. Um, I was recently reading about um, an award that the National Lesbian and Gay Law Association is giving out uh, to two individuals who helped with the California gay marriage cases. One of those individuals is Shannon Minter, who is the head of the, dire- uh, the director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Um, as you may know, Shannon is transsexual or transgender, um, previously female and now male. Um, so my question is, as I was reading this article, they consistently referred to Shannon as him, even when they were talking about his uh, past. So, for example, they would say his tires were slashed in high school. Um, so my question is, do you think that there is a hard and fast rule? So, for example, should we now always refer to him as him even back when he presented to the world as female? Or should there be a dividing line? I mean, I don't know. Like, when I think about Becky or when I talk to Becky about Becky, I always talk about Becky as him back when Becky was Ryan and her now that Becky is Becky. So is this like an individual thing, or do you think there is a proper etiquette for this? That is my question. Thank you very much. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, Edward. That was a uh, wonderful question. I would say the answer to that question is both. It is individual, and I also think there is a a respectful way to go about that when you're unsure what a person's individual preferences are. Um, In the case of like referring to somebody's – in deciding what pronouns to use when you're referring to somebody you really don't know personally – I would always, I think it's just, and this is just my opinion, I don't think there is any hard and fast tranny rule, maybe there isn't, I don't know. I think I think it's always good to just stick with the pronoun uh, that the person presents and identifies as now. Uh, if it's a trans man, always use male pronouns, even when you're referring to things in his past before his transition. Same goes with trans women. I would always stick with the pronoun of 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 that they're using currently because that's how they identify. That's how they feel. That's who they feel they really are. And I think it's just respectful to stick with that, even if you're referring to events in their past. Now that said, you know when you're when you're when you're referring to somebody that you've known for a very long time like Edward and I go all the way back to our high school days it it it, it is a little bit more difficult to use you know uh the same pronouns when you remember this person from year, from years ago as presenting a different way looking acting and maybe and presenting a different way um, so, you know, and that's when, you know, if you, if you're dealing with a trans person that you're that close to you, that you know that well, you know, just ask them, you know, when we're talking, when we're dealt, when we're talking about our past, what pronouns do you want me to use? You know, 
And, you know, like with Edward, I don't really, you know, for me, I, you know, as far as when, when people that know me, like Edward, refer to my past and use male pronouns, it really doesn't bother me because that's how, you know, Edward remembers me. So, uh, but, you know, on the same token, you know, Edward is one of those people that as soon as I made the transition, he had he had no problem with the pronouns. Uh, no problem whatsoever. I don't think I've ever heard him slip. And if he does, um, I'll fucking kill him. No. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that, that's kind of my take on the whole pronoun issue. Uh, if you guys have any feedback, uh, the voicemail line is 206-338-2563 or 206-3-fuck-me. The email address is trannyrick at gmail.com. That's pretty much all for this show. Um, I'm not going to do a closing song. And uh, I just want to say to everybody, thanks for listening. And I love you. And go fuck yourself. No one can tell how sad it makes me. Kiss me, and then... Well, we've come to the end of another Freak Network podcast. But have no fear, there'll be another one coming around just around the bend. I suggest you check daily for the latest of Freak Network podcasts. Tootsie, don't cry. Tootsie, goodbye. Thefreaknetwork.com This program is a member of the Trans FM Internet Broadcast Network. Trans FM.org.